0: Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Anything discussed on Chitchat Money by Ryan, Brett, or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode.
1: My name is Brett Schaefer. I'm joined, as always, by Ryan Henderson today. Is Thursday, which means it's the chit chat money investing power hour number 83. We're chugging along here, hitting earnings season. Going to be plenty to talk about. I think one that's going to be fun that had some basically I wanted to talk about it because it seemed like there was a lot of interest about it on Twitter uh, is Match Group's earnings. We also got some housing updates with this real estate lawsuit. Ryan has some interesting stuff on Zillow as well as... I forgot your notes. What else do you got, Ryan?
0: Solar, maybe. A little bit of solar. Because demand apparently just fell off a cliff. So, could talk about that.
1: Yeah, and the materials cost for those things have really gone in the wrong direction also i wanted to talk about the charlie munger interview as well as possibly the Druckenmiller miller interview although i doubt you watched the Druckenmiller miller one yet maybe we could save that for another week but did you listen to the munger interview if so it could be fun to talk about
0: yeah i, I did i like i like when we do these the pod about a pod kind of thing that's true it's always fun <laughs> it was um, it was I'll, I'll start by saying this about the charlie interview just a serial interrupter Sorry. I kind of yeah I know he just doesn't oh, yeah. care about what anyone else is gonna say but like I felt so bad for uh what what are their names Ben and uh the other host and like they would make it five words into a question and as soon as Charlie had an any inkling about what the question might be about he just start his answer <laughs>
1: I know he has not had the formal podcast training that we have where basically if you're recording something, you wait until someone finishes uh, if you're doing an interview for us in these ones. Sometimes we interview or interrupt each other, but it does not make for the best audio when you're constantly just interrupting the other person. Um, But yeah, maybe let me check that one out or excuse me, tweet out the link to this. Uh, We did join a little late here, although I think that's why we had some people hopping on early. Thank you for Mr. Dapper, Capper, and Tyler for joining. Uh, uh, One of them says, appreciate the transparency on the fund. Great podcast episode. Yeah, check that episode. We did kind of a post-mortem. We decided to close out our investment fund and just focus on the podcast going forward. We did a full hour discussion on that. Should be right before this one. And I should reference that last week we mentioned that we sold uh, sprouts Farmers Market. The, the reason we did that is because we're transferring the money outside of the fund to, you know, our personal accounts again. So we sold we everything change our opinions on the business. um Did end up being good timing. We sold everything. That's right? that's what I mean. It's because we sold everything. So that's when we mentioned that last week. Someone had a few a few people reached out about questions about that. I just want to clarify. Has nothing to do with the business. Just kind of timing. We're in a weird limbo period there. But let's get into it. I think it'd be fun to talk about the Munger interview first, since it's on top of mind. I'm going to tweet out the link and we'll get right going here.
0: Yeah. As Tyler says, it's kind of podception when we talk about another podcast, but like always great content, still incredibly wise, especially for someone that's about to turn hundred, but I just, the, the interruptions make it kind of hard to listen to, to be honest. And it's, I, I did find it funny that there was like that third guy. I don't know who he was. I don't know if he's like, Charlie's like right-hand man or something that would just like, he would hop in and Charlie would to interrupt him. You know who I'm talking about? Like that background guy that would just ask questions. I was like, I don't know who he is, but I'm I'm glad he's there because it like, he was like the glue for that whole show, like stitching the whole yeah. thing together. Uh, as far as content goes, I thought it was pretty, I thought there were definitely some funny tidbits I liked when they asked about like, whether or not the hot dog thing was real, whether or not, uh, what's his name told, told them not to raise the price of the hot dog. I'm sorry. My, my Costco history is not up, up to par with most people's, uh, and Charlie's like, I don't know. I don't think that's really a board matter board meeting (laughs) matter. So yeah, it's probably fair. I'm trying yeah. to think of other ones. I didn't really take like any mental notes. So, and any other content that you thought was like good from the pod, I I thought it was interesting when
1: they talked about he was pretty frank about John Malone and the the he said I didn't like his manipulations, which I think he great used to ma- frankly a great manipulator,
0: about. right? Isn't that what he called?
1: Yeah, and I I don't think that is too far off because he—if you kind of look at the results of some of that—yeah, there's a lot of history of him doing things that may or may not have been uh, selfish (laughs) or misleading to some of some shareholders. I'm trying to think of the other stuff. He—I mean—he generally he talked his book a lot of the, yeah like the same stuff that he usually talks about byd china byd he said byd was the guy's a
0: genius which i guess makes sense given
1: how fast they've been growing yeah
0: yeah mm-hmm. i thought it was kind of interesting that they also asked about like do you think you and warren would have done better with a little leverage kind of thing It's like yeah and they're like do you think he could have blown up he's no maybe you should. <laughs> yeah that's that's true uh, that is interesting how they could have been twice as rich or
1: something if they decided to use some leverage i mean they could of the last
0: like what, what leverage? 10 years though, they could have taken years. out a lot
1: well right. i mean i mean i'm uh, sure they, exa-
0: didn't they raise didn't they raise some debt in japan like denominated well, in the I'll end or something like that yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, and they,
1: they've done that from time to time. But they could have raised tons of debt over the last 10 years and just plowed money into buybacks and run, a, you know, not as conservatively run. They could also have been doing that uh, uh, throughout time. But I'll let the Berkshire experts kind of maybe analyze what they mean here in, uh, in that regard. We've got some other comments here from Andrew Marshall over from... The oh uh, god why yeah what I, I always have it either mindset capital because there's another thing called mindset capital and then capital mindset it's capital mindset not mindset capital says we've had some pretty big interviews lately Rick CEO in the Bear Cave that is true we got an interview with the RCI Hospitality CEO that came out this morning I would check that one out. And he said, uh, We have a question from Tyler. What did you guys think about Munger's commentary on power laws and in investing and swinging huge when you get a good bet? Yeah, I think he's, they, they, that's kind of what the talk is book thing. I probably heard him say that 10 times or read about it 10 times. He seems to hit that in every interview. He's definitely right there. But you got to be pretty sure it's a good bet. So it, I don't think you can say, Hey, I've been studying investing for a year. I see a home run opportunity, now I'm going to buy, and there's probably only a couple that'll show up in your life if you keep studying businesses. So maybe he's definitely right, but you got to be really into the investing game, I think, to have that strategy work for you. Chit Chat Money is brought to you by Interactive Brokers, but we like to call them by their ticker symbol, IBKR. Designed for active traders and sophisticated investors, Interactive Brokers offers trading assets in 150 markets with 27 different currencies, charges USD margin loan rates from 5.83% to 6.83%, rated the lowest among margin fees, the ability to trade stocks, bonds, options, futures, commodities, and more with high interest rates paid on instantly available cash balances, and the ability to lend your eligible stock shares to earn passive income all on one single unified platform. Restrictions may apply. For more information, visit IBKR.com. Member SIPC. Open an account with IBKR today.
0: At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Yeah, it—it it is definitely like a thing. I, uh, a lot of young people fall into where it's like, wow, this is such a great opportunity, especially if you invest in something that like drops in price. The thing I thought was a really interesting comment from was when it's like, you might not realize it's like a sure thing until five years into your investment. Like you might own it for a while and then the opportunity doesn't become like a perfect opportunity until you're maybe five years in and you see something where the price has gotten disconnected from maybe the reality of the business. And I, I think we've, we've had situations like that, like failures like that, where we thought, Oh, this is a great opportunity. Buy-in and in size. And then we realize it's not. And on the flip side, we've owned stuff where we're like, yeah, we think it's an okay opportunity. And then three to f- three years in, you know the business a lot better. You've owned it for a while. You you get more familiar with the ins and outs and kind of trust management more. Then if there's a price disconnect, it feels a lot easier to make that bet it does discourage me from wanting to buy in, in size and size in anything because right at the start, you mean? Yeah. And the thing is he said like, maybe you'll find five to six great ideas throughout your career or whatever. It feels like, <laughs> it feels like Warren's done it once every three years or something like that over his career. No, no.
1: I mean, his last good idea was Apple before that. His last good idea was,
0: I mean he said Japan um he said Japan was like that's not easy that's one. not yeah but that's different that's different that's Doesn't, not like a it's not just a pure equity traded on the US but it's no I think it's different because
1: it, it he would say that the ones are like Apple you know uh sees candy Coca-Cola Amex potentially yeah I think he's separating those out because Japan was more, I think those Japan holding companies were more of a standard, you know, value play, right?
0: When- Yeah, but when I, if, if, I forget the term he used, but I think he called it like obvious or or something along those lines. Like that's so obvious. Well,
1: it's because they could take out 0% debt and buy the stocks with 5% dividend yields. So that's more of just an arbitrage thing, I would say. And then i then they appreciate it in value by like 100
0: percent in five years but i figure that's what he means by like a great idea but the uh i don't know it it does discourage me from wanting to just because especially in the three years that we've been investing four years five years whatever it is the learning curve's been so steep every time i think like wow i found a really i've come across something really good i maybe need to check myself and just be like yeah maybe you're wrong on this if you're only gonna yeah. find four or five in your life. But I think it was a good point when he said that
1: sometimes you don't realize it until five years in because when you own something for five years, you know it really well, you're gonna know it better than almost anyone if you consistently follow it. It's not like you have to follow it's every move, but if you just consistently follow the company and then you can sometimes find a mismatch where a lot of people who don't follow it closely misunderstand the situation and you just got to be confident. In that regard, I think again, it comes back time and time again. It's probably because it's the only one that's really worked out for us. And in this regard, it it is Sprouts Barber's Market for me, where people are misunderstanding the situation. I had followed it for a couple of years and I was like, hey, I mean, that's not a home run, you know, high mope business. But I think that example rings true for me, where if I hadn't followed the business, I think I would have been in the same boat as kind of the Mr. Market there. But I had followed it for a couple of years and I was like, oh, They're misunderstanding the situation
0: and the opportunity makes sense. Speaking of investments that you might not realize are great investments until a few years down the road, Match Group, should we talk (laughs) about earnings? Well, do we want to hit some of these comments?
1: Maybe questions first. Um, What are your thoughts? Just in reaction to Munger, what are your thoughts on his VC comments? He said they're kind of like, Scammers, almost. I forget exactly what he said, but he did not have kind words for them. I kind of think of VC as a crapshoot and also somewhat as like charity back to society, where you're just funding a lot of people's high risk bets. So I, I don't think that
0: was a crazy take by him. I don't like a lot of VCs, but I like the concept of venture capital. Maybe I don't like
1: the concept of taking a two percent management fee on that type of stuff when it's just illiquid markups, but.
0: Yeah, maybe I don't like that side of it. I do like the idea of helping young entrepreneurs with with early money because yeah. it gets them off the ground. But there's maybe better ways to do it than the modern way venture capital is typically done. But yeah, <clears throat> I right. you were saying gone. something about it. Yeah, like you froze a little be... bit there. I don't know if everyone can you hear me? But yeah,
1: I can hear you now. You, you might have froze a little bit there, but I think people understood what you're meaning
0: whatever let's leave it yeah, yeah. he kind of had he rambled on vc so i don't remember i mean didn't have high praise i remember him saying like at one point it wasn't needed but like the industry but i think it's hard for a lot of entrepreneurs to just get off the ground with without capital so i don't know i think yeah certainly- and
1: the last 10 years there's been a lot of I wouldn't call them necessarily scammers, but I think a lot of listeners know there's the ones that may have been, they're kind of hype guys, right? Like we, we all know that and they get into trouble and they're in the bubble, you can get into trouble, but I, I still think it's a great, it's still great for the, you know, the world. All right, other question. You talked about the five-year uh, owned or five, every five-year events. Do you think... Or we have a question here from Tyler that says, "Do you think Berkshire is having another one of these with Occidental Petroleum? Maybe. I don't know the company well enough, but they seem to like it a lot. So probably wouldn't. Yeah. Be. When he bets heavily like this, I wouldn't. It probably pays to study closely.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, I used to always think like, how hard is it really for Berkshire to get into positions? Because I remember they always talked about like liquidity constraints with a lot of these stocks like they can't even get in if they wanted to and then you watch him build up the position in oxy and it's like this just slow grind of acquiring shares over what probably the last year and a half right or or maybe longer i I don't follow it that closely but could even be longer i mean it'd be nice to have that much money but that would be a little annoying to like you're like yeah, this is a good idea, but it's gonna take us two years to get a position. Yeah, and that part was frustrating.
1: Yeah, and he said he I forget the person's name, but they talk about the trader they have. So they have I think a dedicated guy doing this type of stuff that basically implements all the trades for Buffett and the team. And I think that's quite interesting. That guy would probably probably be a fascinating person to interview. That guy, especially after Buffett passes on or something like that. That would be a I think a fantastic interview. So we're not going to be able to probably get that interview unless we somehow get a to be a giant show over that time period. But hey, the acquired guys, Patrick O'Shaughnessy, if you are listening somehow, I would uh that's a guy to go after because I would
0: love to hear his thoughts. But here's I think my that's enough unless you have you have one more thought here. Here's my conspiracy. Todd Combs, two recent interviews, public interviews. Never did those prior. Charlie Munger, podcast. Are, is Berkshire the new podcast promoters? Are they, yeah. are they <laughs> the uh, the promotional company that that's running all these podcast interviews to pump the stock?
1: Yeah. I don't know. There could be something scammy about them.
0: Do you think Buffett ever does one of these?
1: No. She, well he only does it in a crafted situation which is with the journalists he trusts a lot becky quick is probably the one only one left right now
0: essentially he does the interviews with her and that's it yeah i can't think of anyone else you don't think buffett's gotten on the joe rogan podcast no although (laughs) people say
1: that that would be like awesome or whatever and i don't he would ask the wrong questions. I would much rather have him on Invest Like the Best,
0: yeah. or or one of those type of shows. I think it would have happened by now if he was going to do it. But the uh, they let's... probably reached
1: out. I like to have him on a Business Breakdowns. Let's get him on right one of those where they bring on those guests. or uh, he's like, let's we're breaking down Geico. You know, welcome in today. We're breaking down Geico. When we have special financial analyst Warren Buffett.
0: Um, But yeah, let's
1: talk. Let's talk. We got a lot of topics today and we're already 20 minutes in. So
0: match group match
1: group. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that's fun. I'm curious. uh, I I throw out quite a few tweets on it and a a lot of people had varying thoughts on the report and I thought it was quite interesting to see everyone's opinions on it. So I'm curious your thoughts because for any listener, we haven't talked, I don't think at all about it yet.
0: No, so mixed mixed bag this quarter hinge uh we can talk about quickly wonderful quarter they are growing an influence throughout the world very quickly record downloads and i think they might even surprise management with how much people are willing to pay in terms so i I think the arpu might be higher than management's expectations for hinge and they're really not even turning on the monetization lever in Europe, from what I understand. So it seems like we are poised for a pretty good twenty twenty four fiscal year for uh, for Hinge, which probably means five hundred to six hundred million dollars in revenue. Tinder, though, the frustrating part is okay. Obviously, it's not sustainable to lose to to, to have download counts trend. Minus three to 4%, let's say, for the next several years and keep raising prices. It's not a cigarette business. I don't think they can just do that in perpetuity. And to be fair for people when they maybe have read the call,
1: it's not negative downloads because you can't have that, but it's like the amount of downloads per day or per week are a little lower than they were. So their funnel of inbounds year over year download
0: download count is down, even though it's a funny way to word it. It's declining. The, I wonder if it's fixable. So, this is kind of the interesting thing because it's a good example of an investment where you get paid to make decisions in uncertainty. And with Match Group right now, I don't know if Tinder's going to fix the user issue. Like, I don't know if they're going to be able to make it where. People spend a little more time on the bios, and suddenly filtering is a little easier, and they kind of fix this scale issue that they've been running into. If they do, this this is going to be a good investment. It's going to work out well. They're going to print well north of a billion dollars in cash flow annually on an eight billion dollar market cap, and and they're probably going to buy back. They said fifty percent of their free cash flow, but I'm guessing if it stays around here, it's going to be more like sixty or seventy percent. So it's kind of one of those where it's a toss up on what happens with Tinder but i think at today's price you're you can get a decent return even if tinder downloads do continue to decline a little bit
1: yeah and i think it's just a good bet like there's some like obviously there's a chance that tinder doesn't turn around i think the main concern for me is the minimal disclosures among active users on Tinder where people are concerned about the payers stuff. And rightfully so over the long-term payers matter, but it's only one part of the equation. They raised prices by 50% in the U.S. to catch up because the old management team was either afraid or inept or whatever happened. And they just brought their prices on par with Bumble, Hinge, some of the other players. And they saw, I think it was 500,000. Don't forget, I can't forget the exact number, but like a 10% decrease in payers in the US. I don't think that is the end of the world, especially as they added the weekly stuff, which uh, had some volatility there. If you raise prices by 50% and your payers only go down by 10%, it's not the end of the world. But the one thing that does concern me is active users, like if... If they gave out a disclosure that said either weekly active users or maybe even monthly is probably a fine number, given that people hop on and off these things, because daily doesn't really make sense. If they gave out some numbers that said, hey, these are either stable globally, I mean, especially in the US, I, I think US probably isn't stable. But if we talk about globally, if either active users were stable or still growing, I mean, I would be uber confident in this investment. But they don't have that. So that's the big risk for me is that KPI isn't disclosed because I think that's the the big concern for me. Besides that, there's people calling for the management team to get fired. That would probably be the exact wrong thing to do just because some of the problems stemmed from historically having a lot of management turnover. And now I think we need whoever it is. And I think this is a solid team as ever given their mobile gaming background. You just got to ride for them, ride with them for a couple of years, no matter where the stock goes. But yeah, I think it's a good brisk reward here. A lot of people hate it, which I like. And you got a lot, get a lot of hate for saying that the business still grows. And what's interesting is, look, like revenue continues to grow. And yeah, they're juicing stuff in the U.S., but if you believe what they're saying. It's because they just did a giant catch up in prices. Now, do you think looking back on the price increases, were they too aggressive here? Should they have done it on a multi-year timeframe?
0: No, I don't think the price increases has any bearing on the download count. So that's my concern. Like the payers, who cares? It doesn't, payers genuinely doesn't matter. If there's less payers on the platform, it doesn't detract from the platform value. If there's-
1: It's only 10% of the people.
0: Yeah, like it does. It doesn't really matter. The let fewer and fewer downloads, which uh, I'm saying downloads, but you could equate it with active users. That becomes a problem, and it's obviously geographics, like specific to geographies, but that starts to detract from the platform. And maybe it's not even that, like. Maybe all these users are moving to Hinge. Maybe they're moving to Bumble, Hinge, BLK, Chispa, Archer. Probably not that much an Archer. I do find it cool that Archer, within like three months of launch, is basically two thirds of Grinder already.
1: Yeah, da- da- yeah. From a download, download count. perspective, intake. Yeah, and uh, downloads aren't exactly equivalent to users, but it's it's the most important intake. So it's it's a very important KPI. That's why Ryan's for any listeners is is harping on it so much.
0: Yeah, it's frustrating, but I think you're right. Switching the executive team is not the right thing to do here by any means. And I would be actually, you know what? If they did switch the executive team, I would probably be reluctant to own the business here because it does feel like what we're seeing today. Let's let's call it five percent declines in active users is a guess in, in the US, let's say, year over year. That is from previous management errors. That is not from Bernard Kim not doing a good enough job revamping the product. I think the changes they're making today, I saw one of their recent ads where it's like, have your friend select uh, swipe for you. Maybe, I don't know if you've seen this. Like, have your friend swipe for you. It's like TV ads. I think that's a great way to attract women to the platform, which the easiest way to attract men to the platform is to attract women to the platform. So I think that's a great marketing tool or a great kind of advertising route. And it seems like they're making the platform safer, at least from what I'm hearing. So I think they're taking the right steps. Also, if they can really start, they talked about surveying their user base where they're going to start to ask questions like, Hey, do you like whatever? Uh, Do you like drinking? Do you like, you know?" asking all these questions to basically get some data on them so that they can help users filter their searches, that will help them kind of get on par with, I think, Hinge in terms of actual functional use cases as opposed to just people going on there for two days and having so many people on the platform that it almost ruins the experience. Yeah,
1: and then having that data that comes in will be good for the AI matchmaking stuff as well. Which is basically—it's not super complicated. You just have the right data, and then surface the proper people for the the other person. So, yeah, I I, 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 I see no reason to to sell my own shares, my personal account right now. Uh, I could sell at any time though. So, I, this is just information. I, uh, I I like I like what would the cause you to sell. So. Whoa, cause me to sell. Well, here's what they're saying today that they're gonna recover the download numbers given the marketing campaigns and given the revamp and all that stuff. And they expect that in 2024. They also expect hinge to continue to be about a 40% grower, give or take. I think that's what would be my expectations for 2024. And then they also expect Tinder to grow about 10%, give or take, with FX foreign exchange via headwind. They also expect payers to stabilize. So conversely, if most of those things don't happen, I, I would be out because it, yeah. the, if you look at the financials, the business doesn't look to be in the worst shape. They're going to have the cash flow coming in from the Google settlement where essentially their free cash flow, get a little bit of a bump, and they should have that. Uh, you had a nice chart on the conversion ratio that should recover. It has recovered from the litigation. I think a lot of the stuff's behind him. And they've, I think, improved greatly on their capital return strategy after I think a lot of people, such as us, yelled at them for about six months about how dumb they were being with buybacks.
0: Yeah. Do you think the, okay, so the acquisition of Hinge looks brilliant. Right, you pay twenty-five million dollars for a business that's now generating four hundred million dollars in revenue annually. Great choice, great, great decision of uh investment. Do you think the hyperconnect X's out that? Because mm. they spent 1.7 billion, right, on hyperconnect.
1: Let's see how big hinge is in three years, and then I would say it probably hinge is worth way more than the hyperconnect mistake, because if they continue on their trajectory, given the margin profile, if they get to that billion dollar revenue number, a billion dollar revenue dating app that doesn't need insane amounts of marketing to kind of keep a hamster wheel spinning is worth, what would you say? At least five, $6 billion?
0: Yeah. I just think about it like this. Okay. billion market cap for Match Group today, $8 Do we think they can generate a $1 billion in free cash flow at least a year for the next four to five years? That feels very achievable to me. And if they can return a lot of that in buybacks, it's hard to see how this doesn't work.
1: Yep. And they'll probably pay down a little bit of debt given the interest rates they kind of hinted on that. Yeah, like I said, I think it's a good bet. A lot of people are very pessimistic on it. And frankly, I've at this moment, I think that is a good sign. Now, is this one that you want to go all, all in on? No, I think it's a good bet and size accordingly if you if you like it. But yeah, you know, <laughs> I have been wrong on it so far. So it's kind of one all where right. I think a lot of uh it's gone down for so long that we're getting into the state where people are capitulating and just hating it so much because of the price and they don't want to be in it anymore and this is a lesson or another lesson i'd say in we should have put the stock on our watch list and waited for these type of moments and oh yeah
0: that's you know yeah was a mistake yeah. the it okay let's let's pivot because yeah we can talk about it for the rest of the show but zillow i want to talk about real quick and then this can bridge into our housing discussion or the 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 news from this week i'm just going to give some numbers okay and you you kind of tell me whether you're surprised or not over the last 10 years like if you're looking at zillow in 2013 and i told you that zillow which has 50 million Unique monthly visitors, which is huge. It's like the biggest real estate platform at the time. 50 million unique monthly visitors is going to quadruple its monthly unique visitors over the next decade. So 220 million, I think, monthly unique visitors now. Revenue is going to grow tenfold. And they will, like, what do you think the total return would look like? on that on a business that's yeah. kind of like the, they're losing money but they're not you know the path to prof- profitability seems to be there if i told you they're going to 10x revenue and, and and 4x users what do you think the total return would be i'm not sure what the yeah. valuation was like but
1: yeah and i wonder revenue per share it's a bit of a leading question but i would expect it to be up i don't know at least yeah. two- 200, 300%, at least even if there's valuation headwinds and dilution headwinds.
0: Zillow's total return over the last 10 years is 30, a whopping 30%. Let me yeah. actually, it might be lower today. I think they're down 5%. Zillow, total return, 10 years, normalize. ah, 30%, okay. I want to do market cap though cuz this is kind of interesting. They have added original They have added it looks like about maybe a billion dollars to their market cap in the last 10 years. Maybe less. They have spent Roughly five billion dollars on acquisitions. It's such a okay, this quarter too. They have not generated positive earnings per share in ten years. Given really? nothing to shareholders on a, I, on I, a trailing
1: <clears throat> on a trailing twelve month basis or something like that. Yeah,
0: maybe one quarter was positive. Yeah, not not a single annual year of positive EPS. And. This quarter, after a bunch of pointless acquisitions that obviously have not driven like per share value, because we're we're still in the same place on a negative VPS basis, they decided to spend four hundred million dollars on some real estate CRM called Follow Up Boss with a potential for another hundred million dollar earnout. So it's a half a billion dollars. They aren't generating any money. They're spending half a billion dollars on these freaking acquisitions i am blown away that rich barton is still in there it's for such a useful platform this has been like one of the primary examples of wasting shareholder money
1: yeah and it does talk a good game shares outstanding up 97 percent in the last 10 years that's a major headwind as well i would say that ryan real estate crm Maybe they just saw some of those Salesforce ads and said, wow, it is the age of AI. Thank you, Matthew McConaughey. We Salesforce really is this. the real
0: estate CRM.
1: <laughs> I know. probably. They are. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. You don't need another one. They probably one, are. Yeah. The, Zillow was a great case of, and this is where I think it's dangerous, when there's companies that we like, some we own, some we have owned in the past, some are on the watch list. It could be the likes of Spotify, Match Group, as we just discussed wix
0: great platform you know
1: about. great tech yeah like the management team is important and if they're going to be very undisciplined that can hurt you even if they 10x revenue i think a good warning this is a good example i think of maybe why i should be hesitant to pay up for spotify because i still like the business but i think you want a discount there for that management team now i think spotify's management team is a bit more disciplined than zillow's but i think that's one of those where you have some concerns in that regard honestly you know, amazon's is a little bit similar uh, honestly i think amazon's is a bit similar you know what i love amazon now because the price is up but i i, I, I do you agree or disagree on that that amazon is similar stuff
0: maybe i think they care a little more about shareholders the yeah probably it, the other part is Zillow may be the number one company, best in class, top tier, best of anyone at making bad results look good. And they did that in an extreme way this quarter. You also will not find in any press release, earnings slides, or anything like that, the term per share. You won't find it. You have to go to the 10Q, which is just disheartening
1: yeah and i bet that proxy looks pretty disheartening as well that's why i think that proxies are extremely boring the only thing that matters in the proxy for me is the executive compensation section and the and i've learned this after probably doing a hundred of these as that's my job for the not so deep dives and the only thing within the executive compensation because they're going to dot a lot of bs just about we want to incentivize properly look at what their incentives are. And look at what the like hurdles are for those incentives, and ask yourself: Are those the right incentives? And I bet those
0: are probably pretty bad. Ask yourselves: Are those are those the metrics I'm tracking? Do those yeah. if I'm the shareholder, do those metrics matter to me? Because if they are evaluating their performance. Based on monthly unique visitors and adjusted EBITDA and you as a shareholder don't get those that like, you, you, they can't put monthly unique visitors into your brokerage account. They can't return that to you. They can't return adjusted EBITDA to you. you yeah. If, if that's their metric to evaluate performance, it, it's probably, you probably are not aligned with them. Yep. Well, I
1: think that leads into my one of my topics, which is a fascinating case that came out. We're not talking SPF, although maybe we'll talk next week if there's a final decision. They're actually doing that today. So honestly, as we're recording this, there could be a decision that comes out from the jury.
0: I was just going to add real quick. I started reading the book, Number Go Up. Highly recommend.
1: Yeah. Is that the one I've read that? Yeah, I think I may have been the one that recommended that to you. Yeah, from the guy that was the actor turned investigative
0: journalist yeah and gary gensler had it in like his background on the interview you remember remember oh wait is that gary gensler was interviewed and no it's the one you recommended to me but gary gensler was interviewed and it had a number go up just in the background on a shelf
1: yeah actually i may have not yeah i haven't read this one yet i read the other one that was from uh an actor from the oc back in the day uh but both are very Critical. So I'm going to read this one too.
0: I'll say if you were like skeptical of the crypto market, uh, if you were at, at all critical and it was kind of frustrating to you to see everyone like loving it, even though you thought like, what the hell is going on? This is like the perfect book because the first two, like the first two chapters, they go, he goes to the Bitcoin conference in Miami as like just like an onlooker he's like what on earth is happening right now there's some really good anecdotes from that whole conference
1: i'm gonna read that one yeah and it as someone who follows this industry that industry much too closely and probably just waste time because i like learning about it it is worse than everyone thinks but let's move to real estate collusion in real estate commissions i thought well personally I loved this verdict because I really hate the real estate leeches, as we might call them, the people that just leech fees and provide no value. Um, But it was a super interesting case on selling costs and real estate agents. So the context is that a Kansas City jury found the National Association of Realtors, NAR, and others like them. Guilty in price fixing and collusion for commission rates on selling costs. The exact details may differ. I'd look up all the details yourself, so I'm not just going to list them off on here. The damages are $1.78 billion with a potential to 3x the payout to the winners, which which is they call something like treble damages. I think it's just kind of the rule for a case like this. is kind of the 3x thing. And I guess it's going to potentially lead to more cases, more precedent in the industry apparently these costs these selling fees that happen when you sell a home can earn real estate agents upwards of collectively like 100 billion dollars in this country every year and just for what this is is when there's someone sells a home, oh, when there's a home that gets bought and sold there's two parties and then there's like you know the agents i think there's the buyer's agent the seller's agent sometime i've never done this so i don't know some of this could be wrong but essentially there's fees on both sides. The buyer has fees, the seller has fees, but a lot of the times the seller pays a fee. And a lot of the times, apparently, these fees have been fixed and the jury ruled that it was anti-competitive. And I guess, and I did not know this, when you sell a home, the selling costs can be upwards of 5% to 6% of the home value. Did, did you know this?
0: I Yes, but that's... Yes, and it's split between the buyer and the seller's agent. So, like the seller pays, but the seller like apparently the seller like pays whatever. But the seller pays for the yeah like a lot. It of gets passed to the seller.
1: that. So te- so re- in reality, it's five to six percent.
0: And there was stuff that was like, there are people that said, said like, yeah, it's it's a cost, but it's going to be a lot costlier to try to do it yourself because you're going to make mistakes. I'm like, that is exactly what someone who wants to take the fees wants to say. <laughs> the, That's uh, what the
1: incentives would say. Well, it's interesting. I'm sure there that is. They, I but. mean,
0: they do provide some, there's some value. Like they, having a buyer's agent and a seller's agent, at least, you know, someone is in your best interest. Can you hear me? Don't know Pierce. what's happening on there.
1: I think you froze for like 10 seconds there. Yeah. i has got bad internet today, uh, but I hope that was funny for everyone okay maybe it was mine honestly but they might what were been, you saying they're
0: right uh there's some value that's provided I can't remember what all it was I was going through the like Wall Street Journal had a decent article on it and there I mean it's not worth six percent of the property but or the transaction but they do help in the process especially with the buyer's agent specifically like if the, there's stuff that is not on Zillow that they can find you like a home like there's there's areas that maybe they can find what you're looking for a little better than you might be able to they might know what to look for in like uh some of the quality checks on the house but i would think if you're reasonably intelligent you can read some of these documents yourself and just look up whether or not it's like common practice and whether it's safe but I certainly don't think anyone should be paying 6% of their home sale price unless you're paying this unless the seller's agent is the only person that can find the seller like if you can't find the seller yourself maybe he's got like some network of of like willing buyers that you can't access I don't know if that's common at all there's no reason to pay six percent
1: yeah there was some anecdotes some stories out there about how someone tried to evade this and they basically got blackballed by all the realtors which again is illegal and i think the interesting thing from this case is it's not like okay eliminate real estate agents they're basically said and i think this is what the verdict was from what i was reading is they are they want a free market here they want the price to get set and not get fixed and i think that makes a lot of sense as a teaser after we record this, we're about to interview a housing expert, Lance Lambert, I think current or foreign, former editor at Fortune. He just launched his own thing. We're going to be interviewing him, and it'll come out in a couple of weeks. So we're going to talk about this as well on there. for anyone's interested in that, I would tr- I know, listen to that one as well. I think here, here's maybe for listeners to close things out here and why these fees can be so... Uh, destructive. Because I was thinking about this. I was like, does anyone truly make money in real estate except for these real estate agents? Because let's say you have a million dollar home, and you want to sell it within a couple of years, and you have a hundred thousand dollars in equity, and you've probably put after a certain amount of time, what would you say, fifty thousand dollars in uh, renovations, upkeep, whatever. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Maintenance capex. Yeah. If you sell it and (laughs) prices haven't soared, yeah, maintenance capex. Yeah. It's a good way to put it. If you, obviously if prices have soared, like they were from 2011 to now, then you'll probably make out fine because the price has gone up so much. But if you have only hundred thousand dollars in equity, you put in all that money outside of kind of, you know, what you're putting in to pay for your mortgage. And then you sell the home and you have the seller fee, which is $50,000. You make nothing, you have moving costs, you have all this hassle. Is it worth the time and money to try to trade up on these houses and stuff like that? It just doesn't seem, the juice doesn't seem worth the squeeze unless housing prices are going up a ton every year, which I mean doesn't seem, you know, sustainable over the long run.
0: I think it can still be a good alternative relative to renting, like, uh, right. like, if that's the opportunity cost you look at. But if you're looking at it as an investment purely versus like US equities over a 10-year run, it's hard to ever argue that it's you're going to generate better returns because you got that seller's fee, you got the interest you're paying on and your, your mortgage, now you're levered up. So it's it's going to juice your ROE, but there's also, like you said, the maintenance capex, which is maybe you're adding like air conditioning, maybe you're re- re- renovating the shower and the in the bathroom. Something or goes something. wrong,
1: right? Something always goes wrong. Yeah.
0: And it's like it, it, you're not just capital; you're labor. You got to mow the lawn. You got to keep up the house. Like that's time you're investing into it. Now, maybe you know the people love that, but if you're looking at it purely for the returns, the ROI it's i i don't think it's a good alternative relative to just an index fund i don't think most people yeah. look at it that way though i think we do we look at like oh is that worth it but if you're looking at it relative to renting over the next 20 years it's you're more than likely gonna save some money and get a better return buying
1: yeah but what's interesting is People talk about, oh, you got to build up the home equity and stuff. In that example I gave, you built up the home equity, but you put in those extra costs. Say those 50000 is extra costs that you wouldn't be paying when you're renting. And then you have these seller fees on top of it if you decide to move. Yeah, if you don't move, probably work out fine. But you got to be patient. It's got to be the place you want to go. You have no flexibility. I think in the end, yeah, with renting, you get nothing, right? But in a lot of these cases, you're probably getting nothing as well. And there's downside risk. As well there's more downside risk i think people uh
0: trading in and out of homes er, is tough
1: yeah there's there's a lot more downside risk
0: yeah if you're trading in and out of homes or if you're not sure on like job security or maybe location security that you want to be there for a while i think renting is probably a good alternative in that case yeah but downside risk yes Certainly, but you don't have to, unless you're like a forced seller, you don't have to sell it at these lower prices. You can just opt to stay in your house, which I think most people today are doing that were thinking about maybe selling over the last two years. And now their neighbor's house didn't go for as much as they thought their house was worth. And all of a sudden, like, yeah, I guess we're going to be here for the next five to 10 years. Yeah. All um, right.
1: 10 I minutes do left here. I think it's oh, funny. One more
0: thing. Okay. I think it's okay. funny how many people say like once rates come down, I'll do something. It's inevitable. Like, it, like it's a like it's a guaranteed thing. Like, oh, I was thinking about buying a car, but I'll wait for rates to come down. Like uh Oh, you got a direct line at J Pal's
1: future. Yeah, you <laughs> got a direct line at J Pal's future brain, huh? Yeah. His brain in 2024. You got a you got a direct line on what he's
0: thinking. Yeah. Uh, people are it's maybe just hope, wishful thinking. All if right, the, if,
1: GD, if, it, if unemployment stays low and GDP is still rocking, like they're not lowering rates. 10 minutes left. You want Ryan, to talk about the drug man? Sure. Speaking of macro, we'll probably not have any strong opinions on this, but it was a good interview of anyone paying us. We'll send you the link. Uh, I actually only watched some of it. Ryan, you said you didn't watch it. Uh, first off, I think he thinks... He spoke about how corporations and individuals extended all their debt, speaking of those mortgages, right, at low interest rates when they could. But he thinks one of the dumbest things, he said the, He said this in the whatever 200-year history of the US Treasury, was that the dumbest thing they've ever done is not extended their duration at low rates while the Fed offered it to them.
0: This was when he was... Uh bashing Yellen, right yeah yeah and he's uh, Yellen was in charge at this time yeah
1: uh it was a inter- discussion with paul tudor jones also another legend i don't have that many takes on that but it makes sense i think i agree with him
0: i don't know makes I think sense i agree on i think i agree with Druck on pretty much everything just because he seems really smart when he says it so i'm like yeah you know that, that seems sensible he's a good <laughs> man
1: yeah uh Okay, other quote, he said, I think this is fascinating. Quote, for 30 years, I've never let my obsession with the deficit interfere with my trading. So he's kind of a deficit hawk. He doesn't like the federal deficit spending. Some people agree, disagree on that. You know, the reserve currency, modern monetary theory. I think it's Austrian economics, blah, 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 blah. What do you think about that quote? separate the personal beliefs and gripes with how the country is run and if you think a stock is cheap buy it or commodity
0: yeah it i mean theoretically if we're extending our if we're levering up more and more it's a better environment to be buying equities in right like i don't know how it trickles all through but for the u.s economy it's going to cause a bunch of
1: yeah if you think it's going to cause a bunch of inflation maybe you shouldn't get long gold and Bitcoin. You should get long Visa, MasterCard, Amex, and some financials that you think are quite healthy.
0: Yeah. I mean, if credit is stimulus in a way, like it feels like it's good for the U.S. Treasury to a point or for, sorry, not U.S. Treasury, for U.S. equities um, and the U.S. economy. At least to
1: keep up with inflation. Yeah. If you think it's going to be highly
0: inflationary. It's got to be hard though, to like, I mean, Miller is different than a lot of people just in that he's so active. It's got to be hard not to let your opinions on, because it's not like, it's not just politics. It has weight on the economy. So if you think it has bearings on the economy, I'm surprised he hasn't allowed it to impact his uh, asset allocation in any way.
1: Yeah, maybe it has. Maybe it has. But I remember Paul Tudor Jones in the interview said, basically, it impacted mine and it, over the last 30 years, and it's been detrimental for me. Now, here's the other thing that, and this is why he's the legendary trader. I will admit before this, I do not know much about bond trading. I do know one thing, though. When yields go up, prices go down. That's what I know. Uh, and he said, or Paul Tudor jones was trying to kind of gas him up here. And they said back in 2021, late 2021, Druck told him that he was shorting The front end of the curve, which is basically two-year bonds-ish is what he said, and he was calling it the greatest trade he's ever seen. To Miller was telling Paul Tudor Jones this, well, literally immaculate timing because inflation was running hot, and then the Federal Reserve went on the fastest interest rate hike in history, and the yields on the front end of the curve absolutely skyrocketed, and I'm sure he made a fuck ton of money. Oh, sorry. Trying to be... No Family here. show a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. We might have kids in the car. Brady might be able to a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Apologies. To, uh, we try to keep it. Yeah. But Family a lot of friendly.
0: money. Yeah, I can certainly see that. The it's funny how looking back on it now, it was obviously hindsight 2020, but inflation was quite hot and rates had not risen. And if I'm not mistaken, it was telegraphed that rates were going to rise and maybe that I know. priced <laughs> it in, but
1: it wasn't apparent. It wasn't. Look at it. It's like, oh yeah. Duh. Short, short the two year. Duh. It's like, I guess no one, looked. Yeah. At. I, I didn't think of that at all.
0: Well, yeah, I guess we're not Drunken Miller, but, uh, I still think we got to get those like chit chat money merch shirts of dr- like Drunken Miller, you know?
1: Yeah. Maybe. And he's like, it's a cartoon of him chugging something. Yeah.
0: Yeah, our favorite, our favorite man, Stan Drunken Miller. Um, okay, we got like three minutes, four minutes. Solar, Solar Edge end phase. Tough reports. Basically, a whole bunch of cancellations from distributors and pushouts on or requests for pushouts. No one wants to install solar quite as much anymore, and turns out that there was kind of a massive bump in demand for this caused by Russia-Ukraine conflict. So did you see this coming? I
1: did not see this specifically coming, but I have been weary over the last or cautious over the last couple of years about these renewables companies, specifically anyone exposed to wind and solar because of what I've... Basically, learned about uh, the cost of these things, the input costs, how it's you know maybe not as sustainable as people think, and it's it's people are talking about it in a Moore's law perspective, which didn't really make sense about the prices coming down and stuff like that. And we've seen it. There's been a ton of news reporting, at least from what I've read. I guess it's not a giant story, but how wind projects, offshore wind in the United States has this cost have skyrocketed. So the estimated cost of all these things are just going up and up and up. I don't want to touch any in this market because it seems like the economics might be entirely subsidized. And do you want to really bet on government subsidies and basically where the political wins are favoring? Because we took out these political kind of favors that they're giving to the industry, how they're kind of pushing their hand on the scale to say, go for wind and solar. And even in this case, the industry is not doing well at all. And I mean, how much value has been created in the renewable space? Like not much shareholder value. And if we take that off, we probably go much more back to you know fossil fuels and probably nuclear, I would say. Yeah. I, I just, don't, I don't, yeah. I'm a big nuclear head. So if, if, uh I think if people came to their senses on that, That would be terrible for this market i don't want to touch renewables at all at all too much supply chain risk too with china i mean come on it's it's a financing cost too
0: i mean a lot of people pay for these with with loans a lot of people a lot of residential customers you know finance these uh solar installations so when rates go up unsurprisingly demand goes down a lot of story stocks here yeah yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, ten forty almost here on the West Coast. Do we want to call it, or we got some time?
1: Yeah, maybe we just plug some interviews. We got Rick CEO coming up or out today. We have Value Stock Geek, who is a I would say, well, we've talked to him once. We'll call him a friend of the show. He's coming on to talk Tractor Supply. We've already recorded that. We got. Edwin Dorsey from the Bear Cave discussing his short or bearishness on Hershey. And then today we're recording with a housing expert, Lance Lambert. So toss out, you know, any of those will become down the line. Just follow the show. It'll show up in your feed. And then we're also doing on our Tuesday episodes a fantastic, I think, set of sin stocks. I think we've got a great balance there. We're doing British American Tobacco tomorrow, which uh in it, very interesting stock. Trades at a dirt cheap PE. We got MGM Resorts. We got Smith & Wesson, maybe the sinniest of sin stocks. Diageo, And then Altria Group, where we're going to probably change up the format. We haven't finalized it yet, where instead of, since we closed the fund, um, it's basically going to be, since I kind of like Altria Group, I may be doing a pitch and Ryan's going to try to poke holes in it, do some devil's advocates, stuff like that different scenarios kind of run through that where essentially I kind of like the business, don't own it today, but have it on the watch list and would buy at the right price. Maybe the other person, Ryan, in this case, tries to poke holes in it. And in other ways, you know, we might flip-flop that, do other stuff. So yeah, going to be a fun month. Ryan, anything else before I close things out here?
0: No, since stocks is a, I think that'll be a really fun one because a lot of them trade at reasonable valuations and have historically pretty good returns for shareholders in, in the long, long run. If not, I mean, British American Tobacco we'll talk about a little bit, but uh, there, there's certainly some, some promise with a lot of these businesses as opposed to maybe some of the other companies we've looked at.
1: Yeah. A lot of operating profits being generated. Now what they do with that? Well- I think that's going to be something that we discuss. All right. Oh, As a disposal. Also, oh.
0: last thing. I don't know if anyone's still listening, but uh, we said WeWork might go bankrupt. They'd have filed for bankruptcy.
1: <laughs> hey, we got I know, something. bold right.
0: prediction that WeWork might go bankrupt when <laughs> well, they were like basically on the fringe.
1: Well, we, when we did the show, we said, we're like, we basically had the numbers and said, wait, they're going to file bankruptcy within a couple of months. And hey, i wonder what i wonder what happens but we can discuss that whenever that finalizes and they probably get absorbed by softening but let's hit the disclosure we are not financial advisors anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation uh i guess we're not general partners of a investment fund anymore so don't need to talk about that one uh but yeah now this is none of this is financial advice do your own research we talk about stocks we may own on this thing all right thank you everyone for joining in and we'll see you next week